Yo, welcome back to Living Lean. This is your host, Jeremiah Bear. Today, we have a listener Q&A. I am stoked to get into these questions. But before that, I want to say a few things. First, if you've been listening to the show, I so appreciate you. I'm so glad that people can actually take value from this. It means the world to me. So do me a huge favor. If you're listening to this right now, which obviously you're listening to this right now, take a screenshot post it to Instagram, and tag me. So one, I can connect with you, but two, we can also grow the show and expand the reach and help more people together. Second, if you haven't picked up your free copy of The Lifestyle Diet already, which is a guide that I made for my clients, which I'm giving away for free right now, the link is in the show notes, that takes you through everything you need to do to turn your nutrition into a sustainable flexible lifestyle to actually enjoy your weekends eat good food drink alcohol and still make that work with building a lean strong body this is 100 percent free the link is in my bio if you don't have that yet what are you doing go download that all right now without further ado let's go ahead and get into the questions all right first question of the day i love carbs how can i still eat them and lose fat So this is a very common question I get. I think I've said this multiple times on the podcast before, but I get so many people to start coaching with me that are literally coming from this exact background. They've been trying and failing to follow a low-carb diet for months, if not years, and still not losing the fat. So if that is you, stop. The most important factor overall for your nutrition is adherence. So finding something you can actually stick to. And on the initial coaching strategy call, we literally work through this. What can you realistically sustain? And for most people, that's not a low-carb approach. Now, fortunately, many studies have shown that when we equate calories and protein, the ratio of carbs to fats just doesn't make very much difference at all for your results or for your health. Now, obviously, we have some caveats here. We know that most people need at least 0.3 grams of fat per pound of body weight to make sure you get plenty of fatty acids to create optimal hormones for your central nervous system. So we do need some fat. Fat's an essential macronutrient. Fat and protein are both essential macronutrients, basically meaning if we don't eat them, we'll create some very serious issues, if not eventually die. So we do need those in specific doses, but we don't need to follow a high fat slash like a keto type diet. Again, for most people, as long as we get 0.3 grams per pound of body weight and anecdotally I've found sometimes that's a little bit higher for women closer to 0.4 grams per pound of body weight. But as long as we're hitting that minimum fat threshold and as long as we're eating plenty of protein. So for most people, that's anywhere from 0.8 to 1.2 grams per pound of body weight, if we can tick those two boxes and we're also controlling our calories because again, right above adherence and what's most important, we have to control your overall calories. No matter what, if you're eating more calories than you're burning in a day, you're not going to lose fat. So we have to control for calories, protein, hit your minimum fat needs, and then you can literally eat whatever ratio of carbs to fat you prefer whatever is easiest for you to stick to most of my just lifestyle focused clients we literally just track 
calories and overall protein. And then I know because like I can still see these clients' diaries. So I know, okay, like we're focusing on eating 80, 90% whole foods. So they're still getting plenty of quality, healthy fats, but just focusing on, and for most people that don't want to get super specific with their nutrition, so you don't want to get ready for like a bodybuilding show, you don't care about optimizing the last like 10 to 15%. You just want to get leaner, stronger, more confident without thinking too much about all of this. Just tracking calories and protein is a good approach. And again, that's what most of my clients do. And just focus on eating a diverse diet of whole foods. Make sure you include some fats, include some carbs, include some carbs around your workout and your post-workout. You're perfectly fine. And I mean, even that, you don't need to overthink too much. Hit your calories, hit your protein, eat lots of whole foods, you'll be fine. And for most people, this is like the most mind-blowing, freeing thing. And that's a huge part of why so many clients that start with me get such great results. We truly focus on what you can actually sustain. Next question. I don't think I'm eating very much during the day, but I'm still not seeing results. Help. Okay, so this is actually another one that I see quite commonly. People start and they suspect that they're under eating because during the week, it doesn't feel like they eat very much. So typically... Well, I will say always in my experience, we know that metabolic damage, like you being able, unless you have a serious thyroid issue, which you'll probably know if you do, and if you don't know for sure, but you suspect it, just go get it checked out. But we know that metabolic damage isn't a real thing. You can't damage your metabolism to the point where it's impossible for you to lose weight. So... For most people, what's really going on here, this is the thing I've seen in every single case of this, actually, is people generally have one day where they'll drastically under eat. So maybe they wake up, uh, I'm not hungry, they don't eat breakfast, and maybe even skip lunch, maybe don't eat till like four in the day. Over the course of that day, they only eat 200 to, 200 is pretty low. Let's say 800 to 1,000 calories not very many calories. They might even track their calories that day. And then the next day, without realizing it, they're very hungry. They're a lot hungrier. They eat a lot more. But without realizing it, like it kind of feels like you, okay, I probably just kind of made up for yesterday. But in most cases, what I've seen with clients that like, like to push the fasting or unintentionally just don't eat for long periods, like a couple days a week, the next day they more than make up for that in their calories. And we see this in your nutrition assessment when you start coaching. So um, this is very common. And even more so I see this clients like three to four days of the week. So let's say Monday through Thursday, just eat very, very low calories. So literally trying to restrict themselves as much as possible. I'm talking like sub a thousand calories. People come to you again and say, I only eat like a thousand calories a day, but I still can't lose weight. But then when we look at the weekends, they typically tend to eat a lot, a lot more. And again, more than make up for all that work, that giant deficit that they created over the week. And that's generally like this all or nothing, like trying to diet on a thousand calories or less. Like for most people, that's what that approach leads to. Like you can stick to it for a couple days. And then on the weekends, typically for most, they feel like they need to reward themselves or they just fall off and uh, I'll get back on Monday. But then it's still frustrating because it does feel like, for most of the time, for more than 50% of the time, you are eating very little, but you're still not losing weight. So 
For most people, that's the case here. And the solution is really, I found just prescribing people that come in with situations like this, higher calories than what I see in the nutrition assessment. So like I said, when a client starts with me, when you start coaching with me, we go through nutrition assessment where for at least three to four days, I look at everything you've eaten. We have you just track everything in my fitness pal super consistently. I hop in there, I look at your numbers so I can get a good baseline from where to start you from. But with clients like this, for example, if let's say a 200 pound man starts with me and he's tracked for the last three or four days, he only ate 1200 calories. Okay, we know that a 200 pound man can lose weight on a lot more than 1200 calories. We know that 1200 calories isn't gonna be sustainable for him. But if we look at it in the short term, over the course of a week, yeah, if he gets only eats 1200 calories, he'll lose quicker than say the 2000 do probably like 23, 2400 calories that I prescribe him to start out with. But I know that long term, over the course of even a month, if I just consistently getting, get him eating 2,000 to 2,400 calories, again, I know that's a big range because I can't say exactly what I prescribe this hypothetical client, but if I get him just consistently eating in a 400 to 500 calorie deficit instead of a 1,000 calorie deficit in this giant deficit that he's been trying to create, he'll be more consistent with that. So I know that like on the weekends when he's faced with social events, things like that, where normally if he was trying to stick to this 1,000 calorie diet, he would just say like, screw it, this is impossible for me to make work, and likely go off the rails. Here we're just encouraging more moderation. So then he can be like, okay, so here's how I can make a couple drinks work, maybe I can make an appetizer work, and dope, I still get to enjoy my life, but I'm also within the restraints of the diet. So then over the course of a month, and that prevents him from falling off and turning like the whole weekend into a higher calorie splurge. And over the course of the month, I guarantee you that that dude has eaten less calories than he would have if he was trying to restrict harder. So for most people that come in struggling with this, this is a big mindset shift. Like, yeah, by you eating more, you're actually going to end up eating less, but it is very effective. So in that case, that's my recommendations. All right. Final question. How do I go about building the perfect training day for a client? I love this one. So first, ideally you start with a bit of mobility work. Now, I am far from a mobility guy. And also all this is very context dependent on your client's goals. But this is a typical structure that I use when I create a training day and a whole training program, obviously, for online clients. So first, start with a bit of mobility work. Here, I like to just think you really want to address the specific joints that we're training specifically in our first couple metric based movements of the day. So we know that, okay, if your client's going to start with a heavy squat, we probably want to do something that's going to address the hips, maybe the ankles, if the ankles are an issue. So we really need to look at also like the primary joints being moved here and then also your client's specific weaknesses. So like, again, in the case of a squat, I would probably almost always do something for the hips and then like we know okay that client has ankle mobility issues also so like let's make sure we address that too with mobility generally for my clients again like i am not the mobility guy so so if somebody has serious mobility issues and that's something that they want to address i would probably refer them to somebody else like 
Coach Chronic is a great example of somebody that I would refer him to. But I generally program one to three at the most mobility movements to start in the five to 10 rep range. And again, just focusing on the specific joints that we're gonna be training to start out and then that client's weaknesses. From there, we wanna prime all the muscles that you're gonna be using. So one, all your stabilizer muscles are active. We can develop a strong mind-muscle connection and our central nervous system is really primed to be explosive. So what this generally looks like is we're activating the musculature of your posterior. So no matter what, I'll always have clients do something for their upper back. The muscles of your upper back really stabilize your scap scapula, stabilize your shoulders, no matter what you're doing, because we generally start your training, almost always start your training with some type of metric-based movement, which is gonna be some variation of a squat, a hinge, or a heavy push or pull, your upper back, no matter what, is always gonna be involved in one of those movements. So we'll always work in something like 10 to 15 reps of, say, a band face pull, a band pull apart. Now, the idea here isn't to create a ton of fatigue in any of these primer movements. It's really just to feel the necessary muscles work and activate. So we would do something like, let's say, a band pull apart. We also wanna do something for your core to really get your core firing. Because again, in almost all of those primary movements that we're talking about, your metric-based movements, like a squat or a deadlift, or even an overhead press, your core is involved very much so. It's really working to prevent movement. So if our core, if we can't activate, if we can't fire our core during a movement like a heavy deadlift, our back is gonna round, we're a lot more likely to injure something. So doing some type of anti-movement is also important before you go into these main metric-based movements. So I like something like a side plank, a long lever pelvic tuck plank. Then optionally, and I like those for about uh, 15 to 30 seconds, 30 seconds being on the high end, because again, we don't wanna create too much fatigue. Think of it more as just practicing maximally firing your core. From there, we can optionally do something for your lower posterior. So here, if you were doing upper body, obviously I wouldn't have you do anything to activate your glutes and hamstrings, but if you're training, let's say a deadlift or a squat, we wanna do something to really get your glutes and hamstrings going. Those are the muscles that most people have trouble quote unquote feeling. And also those muscles are essential to stabilizing your spine and your knees. Your glutes, I always tell clients, are essentially the foundation to your lower back. If you don't have strong glutes, you're gonna put a lot more stress on your lower back. If they're not active, as active as they need to be during your lifts, you're gonna put more stress on your lower back. Hamstrings really help stabilize the knees. So going into squats and deadlifts, it's important that we activate those extra, or those muscles. So I, here I like something like a knee banded glute bridge, a feet elevated glute bridge I love before a deadlift, and I really like a Swiss ball leg curl before a squat. From there, we can also do an explosive movement. Now, what this is gonna do is really fire up your central nervous system to be more explosive going into your main compound lift, your main metric lift of the day. So for example, if I was gonna do a heavy squat and I wanted to prime my central nervous system, get it ready, I would choose an explosive movement pattern to do for low reps right before my squat. Well, during my primer right before my squat. So 
a great example of this would be a box jump. So I'm explosively jumping up onto a box, stepping down. That mimics the squat pattern that I'm using. I'm showing my central nervous system how to be explosive, so I'm going to be more explosive when I get that barbell on my back. For a deadlift, we could do something like a broad jump or like a kettlebell swing. For a bench press, I like something like a bent over chest throw or a med ball wall slam. And for our overhead presses, I like something like a tall kneeling slam. We're actually doing the opposite of the movement pattern. So instead of pushing vertically, we're kind of pulling down vertically and expo vertically and explosively, but we're still activating muscles that are used to a great degree in our overhead press. So that's your primer. I like that two to three rounds. I don't like to take any rest between any of those. Just get it done with, get everything firing, get your heart rate up a bit. From there, oh, and I should say before all this, it's also likely smart to do like five minutes of moderate, low to moderate intensity cardio just to get your heart rate, bring your core body temperature up a bit. Okay, so from there, we go into our metric-based movement or movements of the day. So here, this is generally one to three movements. Again, it'll be something like a squat, a bench, a deadlift, an overhead press. We're really focusing here on progressive overload while obviously maintaining good form. So I really like to program these for most clients in the four to eight rep range. I don't like to take clients much lower than four reps because one, it doesn't do much at all when it comes to building lean muscle once we train in those lower rep ranges. It's more geared towards strength. And two, your clients are a lot more likely to get injured if we take those so low. But also here we have to consider like if you're having your client do a 15 rep or like a 30 rep set of barbell deadlifts, again, form's probably going to slip up eventually as fatigue sets in and they're more likely to injure themselves. So I really like the four to eight rep range here. It's just the best crossover of all those factors and generally anywhere from three to six sets for all these. That's a big variable that is dependent on where you're at or where your client's at and how much volume they need. We're going to take a little bit longer rest here, about two to three minutes. And again, we're just focusing on overload. So either adding weight or adding reps with the same weight or even adding sets over time. But I would focus more on adding weight or adding reps with the same weight while maintaining the same quality form range of motion, and that's how we really see progress with these compound lifts. Now from there, we're gonna go into our auxiliary movements, which are really supplemental work to the main lift. So these I wouldn't necessarily think of as isolation work, but your auxiliary movements are more movements like, let's say, a cable row, or a single arm dumbbell overhead press. We wouldn't typically program these as our first metric-based movement of the day where we're focusing almost exclusively on overload, but they're great to supplement all those movements. They're still great for building muscle. Here, I would program two to four of these in, I like the six to 15 rep range here. Again, we don't want to go too heavy on these because here we are focusing. Well, we do want to create overload 
So we do want to see weight increase over time. We're also focusing a lot on the mind-muscle connection, being very, very intentional with these movements, and also really feeling the desired muscles work. So I like the 6 to 15 rep range here. We can cut rest times a little bit shorter. So say one to two minutes, we can add a bit more variation here. Whereas with those compound movements, honestly, I like to keep those the same across the whole training block for clients. And generally for months, just focusing on progressing compound movements. Those take so much skill to learn that if we're constantly switching up our compound movements, if you're doing okay, today I'm doing a back squat, then next week I'm doing a front squat, then I'm doing a landmine squat. We're never really making that much progress because our body is just always trying to learn how to do the movement and we can't actually create muscular overload. So <laughs> that said, kind of on a tangent there, with the auxiliary movements, we can create more variation, definitely monthly and a little bit more so even weekly. So for example, and here we're getting more into isolation work, but like for a bicep curl, for example, you can switch the variation of that every week. It takes very little skill to master a bicep curl, regardless of the variation. So we know we're gonna be able to hit our bicep with a solid growth stimulus regardless. So again, we're gonna do two to four movements there, six to 15 rep range for the most part. We can add in more supersets take a little bit longer rest, supersets, tri-sets, maybe even a couple drop sets, things like that. And then finally, we have finishers. So here we wanna get goal specific. So if it's somebody geared more towards muscle gain, here's where we do like, okay, we're gonna do this tricep for your shoulders because we know that this client really wants to focus on their shoulders. And I always tell the coaches that I mentor, our finishers are like your client buy-in. They are not the part of the training program that your clients are gonna get the most results out of. Like 80 to 90% of your clients' results are gonna come from everything we just talked about before. Those metric-based movements and the auxiliary work. Our finishers are really where we give the client a big taste of what they want out of this, keep them engaged, keep them having fun. <laughs> Similar to what I was talking about with nutrition earlier, adherence is the most important thing here. So here's the big part of where we make this very fun for our clients. So it could be like a Metcon if your client's focused on fat loss, something like pushing the sleds, a little bit of core work, some band pull-up arts, or if your client's focused on building muscle, say it's a dude that wants to get big biceps, then we do like a bicep tricep superset, get them, get them a crazy arm pump. Or you have a woman that wants to grow her glutes, then we're gonna do some type of band glute finisher where she can really feel that burn, get a good glute pump, and leave the session really feeling great about what they've done and knowing that it's driving them towards their goals. And that's really how I would set up the perfect training day. All right, and with that, that is all I have for y'all today. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. And again, if you're enjoying the show, take a screenshot of this, share it on your Instagram story, tag me, I'll share it, and I'd love to be able to connect with you more. All right, thank you for tuning in. This is Living Lean.